Good morning, Soma Church. So good to be back with you. I, I, uh, I love this time of year. In fact, I think Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. And this weekend especially, just being in worship with you is uh, a privilege and an honor for me. Um, and I, this is a great spot. I know last time I was with you, we were outside um, braving the elements, right? But um, this is a great setting um, and just in time for the holidays. I love how when we were worshiping now, just now and thinking about who God is. You know, the room prompts you to just look upward. Like, just look up and just consider who God is. Uh, he is the one who's here with us, and we worship him. Um, when Paul and I talked about this, uh, me coming a uh, few few months ago, actually, we, I'd planned to come here and share with you from Hebrews. Um, he, he let me know a little something about the text that I'm going to be teaching you. So in the text, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, there's this famous verse. Most of us remember it from, you know, our memory verses growing up as a kid. It's that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And so he pointed out to me that the word for sword there in Greek is a, the word makairos. It's like a dagger, a sword, right? And he said, and get this. When, when I was younger, I used to play in a Christian rock band, alternative rock band called Makairos. And he sent me a picture. That is so awesome. You got to love that. I said, dude, I am showing the church that first thing when I get there on Sunday. And he just went up a few notches in my book of coolness. I mean, those trends are back with a vengeance, by the way. You've got the mullet there. And uh, kind of that Southwest vest pattern thing going on. The kids are wearing that like crazy today. My, my sons would like to get mullets uh, if they could. They both want mullets. I know. That's exactly what I said to them. I don't think so. I am here, by the way, with my family, my wife, Jolene. Um, should I tell them who you, this, you're the context of your name, Jolene? It's the song, right? People know this song. Come on. Her, her dad was a Dolly Parton fan, I guess. Uh, and my, my daughter, Evangeline, who's seven, Christian, my oldest, who's a freshman in high school, and Jonathan on the end there, who's a, a big sixth grader in, in middle school. So good for us to be back here with you again. Thank you for having us. And, and as I said, we have quite a text to get to today with Hebrews chapter 4. It's not like this is light reading. This is like advanced uh, study here. Um, so before we, we get in and jump in, I would like to just say my own word of prayer, um, just, to, just to set my heart and our hearts together right before the Lord. And, and Lord, we do come before you today expectant. And we do come, Lord, filled with hope and anticipation because your word is alive. Your word is active. It is not passive. Your word is not dead. And we are all we're all exposed before you. And if that is in a place of weariness, you meet us. If that's in a place of joyfulness, you meet us. Wherever each of us might be at as we approach your word today, here you are, God, with us, living and active. So now, Lord, please open our ears and open our hearts. And God, speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Fill us and, and help us to have the wisdom to live this life. And to go out of this place just remembering Jesus and following his lead. Thank you for so much, church, and for this day we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and jump into Hebrews. I'm going to actually read up a little bit from last week's passage that you probably already covered. Um, just to give us a little bit of the context to help refresh our memories uh, 
before we jump into the proper chapter that I'll be talking on, verses 1 through 13 of chapter 4. So we'll read up to Hebrews chapter 3, 16 is where I'll start. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt and led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any one of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for somewhere spoken of on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today saying through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For who have, who has, whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of the Lord. So, coincidentally, I've been reading through Hebrews personally as well over the past few weeks, and as I've been refreshing my, my memory on this book, I'm reminded that this is a book that has caused some intimidation for even the most well-versed uh, students of the Bible. And the reason for this, well, there's multiple reasons, um, but among them include just the, the level of knowledge and background context one has to kind of have in order to unlock the fullest meaning of the text, the knowledge of the people of Israel and the history of the Old Testament. It's really difficult to understand the fullness of what Hebrews is teaching us without knowing your Old Testament. And certainly the original audience, which was a, a group of Jewish Christians, they would have had a really robust understanding of their own history. Ms. Hebrews is speaking so much to their heritage and the, the scriptures from the Old Testament. There are so many citations from the Old Testament that we see all throughout every chapter of Hebrews. But another reason why it's also a sort of intimidating book to come to is because of uh, the, the message itself that it presents. Have you noticed this already? Hopefully, I, I'm sure Paul has kind of talked about this, that uh, already in, in this section that we've gotten to, there's a, there's a pattern, there's a series here of warnings. 
fact, Hebrews is a book of warnings. There's about five warnings, and we're sort of in the second movement here of warnings in chapter two, or four here. And, and these warnings are to tell this Jewish Christian audience to not make certain mistakes. Don't, they're, we're warning you, don't make these mistakes. And, and what the author is doing is trying to hearken them back to their history to remember the mistakes of those that were made from their, their predecessors, their ancestors. Learn from them. Don't do what they, what they did. And, and at the same time, as we think about some of the mistakes, one of the chief mistakes we just read about is that um, basically it was unbelief. You know, it was don't make the mistake of, of not believing God's promise. You know, God makes promises and he has a plan that he ordained. He decreed before the foundation of the world. Believe him. Don't make the mistake that they did in, the, in their unbelief. Now, you all make plans. Are your plans perfect? I'm sorry to hear that. I, that never happens to me. I always have perfect plans. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They always throw it up, wrenching things. Sometimes we place our humanity as we, upon God as we think about him and his plans. He's not like us. When he promises something, it comes to pass. It, it finds fruition. So don't make the mistake. That's one of the elements of the warning that we just read about here. But as we see this structure and the tensions of these warnings as they emerge, there's this other lesson that brings out kind of a, a, almost a difficulty within us. And, and a question arises in our minds as we think about what does it mean then if we drift too far away into unbelief? And really, it might, might even beg this question. Is it possible to just completely fall away from faith? And, you know, some have phrased it this way, to even lose your salvation. Now, um, the short answer to that is no. You, you cannot lose your salvation. Something we just sang about. It's something that was given to you, was done for you. Um, and I, the text doesn't merit me to go into the nuts and bolts of answering that and kind of fleshing that out for you today. Uh, thankfully, you have a wonderful pastor who will get that task uh, coming up later. He gets the hard job there. <laughs> but when you get back to like Hebrews chapter 6, when you read ahead, you'll, you'll hear this again. What does it mean to, to maybe lose faith? Or if, what, is that, what does that look like? And the tension of that is, is what we also read as we go through this book. And, it, and it's, it's not easy. So for me, something that was helpful to, to assist me in my own studies in this are two, two images that I want to also leave with you as a support, as an assist, as you think about reading through the book of Hebrews. I want you to imagine these metaphors and keep them in the back of your mind because they sort of help to explain this tension. The first image comes from Jesus himself. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 8, he tells this wonderful parable, a story about a farmer and this farmer has a bag of seeds, and he's throwing these seeds out. He's sowing seeds, and he's indiscriminately casting these seeds all over the place. He's not, he's not making choices about, I'm only going to throw it here, I'm only going to throw it here. He's throwing it indiscriminately. And so some of those seeds land on soil that's got, you know, it's a pathway. People trample on it, walk it, they don't grow. Some falls on rocky soil, and it, it doesn't have enough moisture. It doesn't grow. Some th grows among thorns and thistles, and it gets choked out by the weeds, so it doesn't get the nutrients, and those seeds don't take. But there's a soil where it takes, and it has all the right nutrients. And that soil, Jesus says, it produces a hundredfold. Right? And, he, and he, he, he goes on to talk about the explanation of this parable that the seed is the word of God. It's the good news. It's God's plan. It's his will. It's the things that God has determined, decreed. And he's indiscriminately throwing it out there. It has access everywhere to all peoples. But what, 
the variables are are the soils. The difference, the, the word of God is, is singularly unique. It emanates from God. But the variables that are different are where the seeds land. It's the heart, the soil of a person. So I actually like to refer to that parable as the parable of the soils. Because, you know, you, you never know the heart of a man, of a person. That's, that's territory that, that God might be reaching and casting his seeds out. And we don't know how that's going to come to fruition in their lives, the work that God's doing. So that's a really great story to, to have in your mind as you read through Hebrews is the parable of the sower. And Jesus even says this, this famous statement, as he tells that parable, he says, so he who has ears, let him hear. So it's to open your, your ears and your heart to the word of God. That's what Jesus is, is saying there. The second image is one that I appreciate. It's sort of um, also in the text. You can, you'll read it later on. It's an image of running a race, that our, our faith is this journey, and it's like running a race, and it has a finish line to it. You know, and the finish line for us is, is Jesus, and the text will tell us there's the day that's coming. You know, the, the, the return of Christ is coming, and there's, there's a finish line, and it's Jesus himself. And along the way, you and I, we need encouragement to keep running that race and not lose sight of the finish line. Because in this world, we have trouble and in this world, we have distractions and things that can put, be weights that are thrown on us that could make us not run the race. I like this analogy as well, this metaphor of running, because I used to run a lot. And, you know, there's a difference between, I think a lot of us, we probably have more of an appreciation. I'm going to generalize for you, but we probably have an appreciation for the type of runner that's more of a sprinter. Now, when you look at, uh, at somebody who's a sprinter and the kind of body and physique that they have and the kind of strength that they have, you know, they're usually yoked. If you ever watch track and field and you see those 100-meter sp- uh, sprinters, and I mean, they're, they're, their muscles are built for fast, quick strength. They're running for a little bit of time, and then they're done. Well, our faith is, you know, our bodies aren't supposed to look like that in, in, when, as it pertains to our faith. Our faith isn't just about momentary, quick, explosive energy, and then we're done. Because when tomorrow comes, and it might have some trouble in it, you know, and, and we're, we're now sitting on the sidelines, you know, this, this is where we start to drift away. So the, 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 the image of the runner who's like the endurance runner, they're more lean, right? And, and they're built for long-term running, we're, we're all like marathon runners. And when I used to run more long distances, I, it was always helpful for me to have people with me, like run with a buddy, run with a partner, have somebody who's next to me who would cheer me on and help remind me that there's a finish line, help me pick up the pace if I was falling behind or wanting to, to just shut down and not go any further. That's why people you know, pay to do those things, right? They pay all this money to run a marathon. Um, why? Why do that? Just go run, right? But we like the encouragement. So the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is, while it does have these patterns of warnings, it also is supposed to be a book to encourage the believer. It's supposed to encourage you. It's supposed to encourage me. Do you need encouragement? Absolutely you need encouragement. You need encouragement to keep the faith. There's a lot of things that can, are, that can try to pull you, distract you from keeping the faith. So this book has exhortations, encouragements along the way that are to help keep us spurred on together. You know, you think of that, that great verse that says, so don't neglect the gathering as some are in the habit of doing, but in so much more, 
you know, you, you, you devote yourselves together. You come and you gather, assemble, right? As you see the day of the Lord approaching, as the finish line is coming, we, we, I need your encouragement. And, and you know, we, we mutually are encouraged together. So in our passage today, as we look at the text, it, rather than just going straight to the warnings, I, I wanted to look at them from the approach of the encouragement with those two metaphors that I just gave you and the encouragements that we see that are, that are given to us here. And there's actually two of them. I don't know if you saw, but in the text, there were two encouragements there. And the syntax of the wording in the Greek, we call them the hortatory subjunctive. Really, that means that they're just exhortations. Let us do this together. So these are our two encouragements for the day to keep spurring us on, running the race. So follow with me because you're being like, oh, we'll see if this was a good job making these positive or not. You guys can tell me afterwards. The first one was in verse one, your encouragement. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. There it is. Lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Doesn't that sound encouraging? Let us fear. Do you feel better? Let us fear. Um, now, as we think about this, we think about who this letter is addressing. It's a group of believers, not a group of unbelievers. The book of Hebrews was written to people who believe in Jesus. It was not written to people who don't believe in Jesus. And so is this telling us, when it's encouraging you to fear basically God, is it saying you should be in terror of God? that you should be afraid of God. Now, we, we also read in the context there the quotation again from Psalm 95 that talks about God's wrath because of their disobedience, and the connected idea there of disobedience is dis- unbelief, not believing God, that his wrath comes out, and the consequence was that they're not able to enter his what? Rest. And so when it says, let us fear, are we supposed to be like in terror of this, the wrath of God, we're not going to get his promises? And I would say, Perhaps for the unbeliever, the unbeliever who's, who doesn't trust God, who doesn't know God. But for us, who've had the seed planted, we, we've heard, we know. I, this, this is not the kind of terror type of fear. Like it says in 1 John, it says, perfect love casts out fear. When it says, let us fear to you and to me, I think the encouragement is like this. Let us have a fear of missing out. Like, there's something about God's plan that is so good for us that you don't want to miss it. So I guess the encouragement here really would be like something like, let us have a little bit of FOMO with God's promise. Did I use that word before with you? I can't remember if I used it. You guys know FOMO. Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. You need a little bit of FOMO. Now, I know that sounds hilarious. It's, it sounds ridiculous. But that's what people talk about when when you know, there are events or things that are happening and, and, and it's exciting and you don't want to miss out on it. You want to participate in it. So a lot of times we come to church, we don't want to miss what's happening on, on a Sunday. When I miss a Sunday, I felt like I missed something. I, I was missing out. The fear of that could be a healthy thing. And this encouragement here is God has something, a promise for us, namely his rest, which I'll talk about in a moment. You don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss out on that. It is good. You were built for that. So it's not that you're being terrorized by God. No, it's don't miss what God has for you. Don't miss out on his promise. And listen to what it said. The door of God's promise is open. It's not closed. It said in verse 1, the promise still stands. 
as long as it is today, the door is open. So maybe we were missing out because we were distracted over here doing what we wanted to do with our life. But the door is still open at any moment. It's still today. While it is still today, that door is open. So you don't have to miss out. At any moment, you can turn your heart to him. That is a great encouragement for me because it just reminds me of God's unconditional favor upon us. His door is always open. As long as there is today, I, I want to, 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 you know, fear that I might miss out on his promise. The warning attached to this encouragement prompts us also to remember the story of Israel. They were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And God's promise for them, as they thought of this idea of promise, it was to redeem them. God is presented as redeemer. They were in slavery in Egypt, and God was going to deliver them. And that generation saw God work in miraculous ways. God delivered on his promise. The plagues that came to, to the Egyptians to finally let them release the, the uh, Israelites. And then they cross the Sea of Reeds and they go into this desert. Now God's leading them with fire. I mean, they saw God work in miraculous ways. But we also know what happens. Though they saw God's goodness and glory, they saw him starting to fulfill his promise the finish line for them wasn't coming soon enough. You know, part of the promise was this land that God was going to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey where he would be present with them, where they would rest with God. They would be under, out from underneath the bondage of slavery. They would have their own place and it would be a beautiful, powerful display to the nations of the goodness of God with his people. Look at our God. He is great. That promise was what he gave them, and yet as they're in the wilderness, there were some who didn't believe. There were some who were, as we see, I mean, they were, they were growing weary. They were out camping. How many of you like camping? I do too. I love tent camping, but as I'm aging, I'm starting to be like, ah, this is a little bit rough. Where's that air mattress? They were hungry. They, they, they didn't know where, where they're going. The timeline might not have been on their timeline. And so there was complaining that was going on. And as they grew weary, they were starting to look backwards and say, some of them, our lives back in slavery were better than this. You imagine that God promised them land, freedom with him. And they thought slavery was better. Of course you could see that this would kindle God's wrath as David talks about this in Psalm 95. And so don't make that mistake. They never crossed the finish line, that first generation. They never entered into the rest. They, the promise was fulfilled, wasn't it? Eventually it was fulfilled, but that generation didn't get to see it because of their unbelief. God's promises to us will be fulfilled. You can say that. God's promises to me will be fulfilled. God's promises to me will be fulfilled. Say it one more time. God's promises to me will be fulfilled. They will happen. And so we treat today like we're being ready for it. Believing him by his word and having a certain fear of missing out. Don't miss it. We shouldn't miss it if we're growing tired of waiting. So tired of watching the world degenerate. That we think that there might be another plan for peace that could serve us better than than our, our lives following God. And that was exactly the temptation that faced the Hebrew audience of the book of Hebrews. Uh, these early Jewish Christians probably did not have it very easy following Jesus. 
Jesus was a polarizing person. Jesus separated families. I imagine that for these early Hebrews to follow Jesus, put them at odds with other family members, I bet it was hard for some of them to even do life and business, like normal routines. And so their temptation would be, let's just revert back. Let's put Jesus somewhere where we can hide him. You know, and don't do that. that this is sort of the warning. You're going to miss out. For the wandering Israelites in the desert, it was a lot of work camping, traveling. They were hungry. They didn't know where they were going. They wanted to turn back. There are legitimate things that might make us weary. How about you? What, what are the things that are making you weary today? Do you have things that are making you weary? Do you have any things in your life today that maybe want, make you want to turn back or to, go do something else? You know, especially we love this time of year, but, you know, for the Christians, let's be honest, this, this time of year is a lot of work for us. You know, there, there are layers of things that, that maybe also make us just want to, to sit down or do something else. That's a real thing. But the promise of entering God's rest is an open door today. It still stands. And we, we don't want to miss it because we're doing all kinds of other stuff. And so the second encouragement, the second one here that, that to ex- kind of expand on this is found in verse 11. It says, again, exhortation, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So encouragement number two is strive to enter God's rest. Again, that sounds like an incongruent statement, doesn't it? I know, it's almost like an oxymoron. Strive, work hard. Oh yeah, to enter God's rest. Well, what does this mean? So the author says that even Joshua's generation they were the ones who actually crossed the finish line. After Moses died and, Joshua, and that generation died off, Joshua and his generation entered into the land of Canaan. They crossed the finish line. They made it. They entered into God's rest. It was God's promise fulfilled. And the author here in Hebrews is saying, but there is more. There wasn't just that. There's more. There's a Sabbath rest still for God's people. There remains a Sabbath rest for us to enter. And what the language does here is to hearken our minds back to the Genesis account. Are you guys still with me? I know this is theology here. Uh, we got Genesis. We, I mean, there's a lot going on here. It hearkens our minds all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and the creation account. And just think about the, the power of God in that Genesis chapter 1. That God speaks, and by his word, fiat, things come into existence and God says, it is good. God takes chaos and he orders it. And there's light and there's day. And he creates distinctions and separations. And it's all good. But what completes that week is that final day, day seven, where there, God rests from his work. And on that seventh day, in that rest, you just imagine this for a minute. I know a lot of us, when we think about Sabbath, we think about it as a day of just not doing anything and just refreshing ourselves. And there's an, a certain healthy element of Sabbath that is exactly that. But since the seventh day follows all this work that God did, I want us to also think about it in terms of this. It's actually sitting back and enjoying and having there be a harmony with all that has proceeded in that week. When God ordered everything and created man and woman, sat back and said, this is good. On that final day, it was a moment for God with his creation to be together in rest, in peace, in harmony. It's the idea of shalom. 
It's a fullness. It's a full completeness of enjoyment of God. So part of my goal here for encouraging you today is that I just hope that you enjoy God. If you're really going to enter his rest, it's to enjoy him because he's the one where purpose and order and love and all the things that have been made, they come from him. So there's a Sabbath rest that still remains for the people of God. That's God's intent is to have peace with you, to have rest with you, to enjoy, for us to enjoy one another. But we read on in Genesis and we know exactly what happens next. The story, it has this tragic twist where sin enters the world. And now there's this secondary cause of, of, of chaos Again, it's like, and then things start to degenerate and break back down and things start to get hard. Toil enters in now. The land is cursed. And, and, you know, as we think about it today, there's pain, there's suffering, there's absurdity. Things aren't defined the same way and order is just all out of whack, right? God's promise and desire, there's still a rest for us. His, his desire is always to put order to chaos. And So that's what we're looking for in the rest. What the author now is pointing to in this rest that remains for us is the peace that can only be afforded to us through Jesus Christ. That he now is is the word become flesh. That he now is the one making things new. As things were degenerating, he's the one that is, is bringing things to new life that those who believe in him are called what? New creations. The Sabbath rest for us is is finding this this peace with God in Jesus Christ. But what we see at this time of year is everybody is, you know, Christmas is mainstream. And just in general, if we look at our society, people are trying to do those very same things of bringing harmony into their lives and things that bring them peace. And it may not center on Jesus. But everybody's chasing after it, something to rebuild Eden, because that's what we were built for but they will not enter into the rest because the promise is through Jesus. We all are striving and Solomon will say, you know, that's just a chasing after the wind. It's all vanity. Striving to enter God's rest in the way that it's talking about it here is about receiving the one who is greater than Moses or Joshua. It's about receiving the fullness of God's promise as it has been expressed through Jesus Christ. He is the word of God made flesh and that's what we, we acknowledge at Advent this season. Could it be that this season refreshes us and brings us rest? Because we remember that Jesus did come to save the world. He restores us. Striving the enter, to enter the rest of God is about having ears to hear the gospel and trusting God at his word. The good news is that Jesus He rose from the dead, he defeated death, and he reigns forevermore, and he will come again to judge the earth and to create all things inevitably new. That's a wonderful promise, and it will happen. The finish line is closer to us today than it was yesterday. We are closer now than when we first believed. And so that creative work is already beginning. We're already, we have the ability to enter into it. It's already and not yet, but we're entering in to this creative process, into this rest that God is rebuilding through Jesus, the Son. This, um, Paul might have to come and clean up after me with verses 12 and 13, because those verses are so powerful that you could just break that down in himself. Maybe he'll watch this back, or you guys can tell him, oh, tell us more about 12 and 13. But as we look at those, those two verses, 
And we think about what it's communicating there, about the word of God. It's living and active because Jesus is alive too. I mean, it's living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And it talks about our body's composition, how we're created. It talks about that we're material. It pierces through bone and marrow, the things that you see. God's word is so powerful, it goes through even the immaterial part of you, soul and spirit. Uh, It knows your thoughts. Nobody can hide from the word of God. And what it also communicates there is that the word of God is the judge, not me. God's word is the judge. And, and, and then it also, as it talks about what it pierces through, it judges the intentions of the heart. The wording of intentions of the heart is this, this word that means understanding or mindset or attitude. That you may put off attitude that looks okay on the outside, but the word of God will pierce through that and will re- reveal your true attitude and mindset. Only God can do that. Only God's word can do that. And so as I um, just think about this in mindset, like God wants, to, God wants his promises to seep into the deepest recesses of my life. Somebody recently asked me, they said, um, at this stage of, of your spiritual journey, as you go to the Bible, what do you like to teach or what lessons are really standing out to you? And that was a great question. And the answer is this. I love Paul, you know, your pastor too, but the Apostle Paul, I love reading Paul. I, I, I love, you know, the Psalms, the lessons in the Psalms, those are daily reads for me. But at this stage of my life, I'm coming back to the lessons of Jesus himself. And, and specifically in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, so, so often it's easy to forget. Jesus was 33 years old. When he died, he was this man who walked the earth. These are the things that he taught. His movement has not ended. I'm older than he was. It's insane to me. And what, what he taught is this, this life of the kingdom. Like that is stuff that is standing out so much more. I just want to go back to the simple teachings of Jesus. And maybe that's what I'm going to rest in for, for me for Sabbath or for, for the Advent season. It's just getting back to uh, what, who is Jesus? You know, and when it talks about the word of God being the sword that pierces through everything, the next question for myself is, does my mindset agree with the mindset of Jesus? With what the word of God is, who he is, and what he taught, does Daniel Flores' mindset fall in agreement with Jesus? And so that's what we're constantly doing together is, is trying to unpack that and see, does... does our inner life match the word of God. And, and all of that is sometimes is a difficult, it's difficult to be, you know, having the sword kind of piercing around your life. But the goal of that is shalom, is peace, is the rest of God that you may enter in. And so today, uh, as I came here prepping for you, there was just this one word, is just thinking about all these encouragements couched with warnings, I really do see that God's goal for us in sending us Jesus is that we would, we would be whole and one with him and enjoy him. Could it be that this season you're renewed in your enjoyment of Jesus Christ through a year of a pandemic, through, you know, fluctuations in jobs, health issues? Our Thanksgiving tables looked different this year, didn't they? The people sometimes who we are accustomed to having weren't there and you know, we usually travel and see family, and we didn't get to this year. You know, but could it be that through the troubles, through the not ideal plans that don't go the way we hope, that this greater promise is what we find enjoyment in? 
And that rest that still stands for us is right here. The door is open. It's Jesus. Um, that's the, my prayer for, for all of us and for you. Um, I, I pray that you encourage me in that too. We need the enjoyment of the Lord. We need to enjoy Jesus today. The door is open. Let me pray for us. And so, God, we just thank you for your word being alive again. And I just, I pray, God, that our, our ears, as they are open, just that the seed of the gospel, the good news, it, it continues to root in us and produce the fruit that is pleasing to you. I, I love the imagery, Lord, of the garden being the place of, it's like paradise. It's the spot. It's where God dwells freely with his people. And when the church gathers and when we worship you and we're engaged with your word and, and uh, we're, we're fellow, in fellowship, we're spurring one another on, we're, we're growing the body, God, this is our enjoyment. It's like Eden. So, God, we're waiting for you. We're running this race. You are our finish line. Help, help keep our spirits up. Help us, Lord, to, to see that there's a bigger picture even, even if we don't understand everything. Help, help us with your word in times of temptation. Just as Jesus, too, was faithful in the, de- in the desert, in the wilderness, when he was tempted in the same way, turn these stones to bread. And he said, man shall live, not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. So for us today, God, we, we just renew our hope in you. And we thank you so much for your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And key word, the Lord give you peace today. God bless you. Thank you for having me.